stress this every single week, and these chapters will really in particular, because to be made right with God is not something that we do, it's something that God has done for us. And that can be a struggle uh, for people. Uh, because we, we keep thinking, okay, so, you know, what do I have to do? And, and we think about, you know, religion, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about that today. Um, we do have a responsibility, but I want you to think of responsibility as like, break the word down, respond, right? Respond ability. We have an ability to respond, and God has called us to respond. And in these chapters, uh, you know, chapters 9, 10, and 11, um, I, I've been sharing with you in the book of Romans. It's interesting that many commentators call this a, a parenthetical or parenthesis, uh, you know, these three chapters. And these three chapters deal with, with very specific things. In chapter 9, uh, Paul is dealing with, as we were talking about last week, he's dealing with the past of Israel. He, he was taking them back, you know, whenever Paul, you know, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul, and it's a great reminder for us, is every time Paul went to share with someone, it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And that's a great reminder for us this morning. You know, when we talk to people about Jesus, we're not just to go, hey, well, this is what I believe. And you hear people say that they'll even start, well, I believe this. Really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. What really matters is what? What God says, right? And when Paul reasons with people from the scripture, that's exactly what he's doing. Is he's going back. And so we're looking here. And when they reasoned with them, they didn't reason from the New Testament. They reasoned always from the Old Testament. That's what they had. And so Paul took them back and he reasoned with them from the scriptures and said, you know, because they, they stumbled in two areas, if, if you remember this. They stumbled over the fact that, that God was saving now Gentiles because they had a strong hatred for, for any non-Jewish person. If you remember, you've probably heard this in teachings that the rabbis would pray every morning. You talk about a terrible prayer, but this was a, a daily rabbinical prayer. They would thank God. They said, I thank God that I'm neither a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. I mean, they believed that the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were good for nothing more than lighting the very fires of hell. So to think about this, think about that prejudice, right? So then all of a sudden, you know, you're hearing in the New Testament that, you know, as we see in the book of Acts, and we'll cover this in a little bit, um, God is now saving Gentiles the same way that he saved the Jews. Can you imagine if you're a religious Jew and you heard that, you're going, not over my dead body, you know, I mean, and that was their attitude. The other thing, and the, and the worst offense in it was, as chapter 9 comes to an end, is they stumbled over God's promised Messiah. They stumbled over Jesus himself. Remember, you know, they were such a proud people that they didn't need, they believed in their own heart. And, and, and you know, I know I said this as someone before I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I would have friends in high school and they'd say, hey, you know, Mike, you need to come to church with me. And I'd look at them and i go, I don't need to go to church. i go, you need to go to church, man. You are like messed up. And they were, they were messed up, but they were messed up where I could see it. I was messed up where they couldn't see it. But I didn't recognize that because in my pride and, you know, I, you know my disciplines, it was like, I don't, I don't need this. Well, that's how the Jews are. The Jews had the law, right? 
And they would live by the law, I mean, as best they could, but the law was never, never designed to save us. It definitely was to discipline us and keep us in, in check until God's promised Messiah. So the Jews, they didn't think they needed a Messiah to save them from hell. They had the law to do that. What they wanted was a political savior. Like I said, and I shared this with you last week, they didn't, you know, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, uh, that, that shamed them. They were like, you got to be kidding me. Our Messiah is not riding a donkey. He's coming on, you know, a, a thoroughbred. He's riding a white horse. I mean, we're, this is about overthrowing the Roman government because that's what we need. You know, we need to be put in power. We need a political overthrow. We don't need a spiritual overthrow. And so Paul says, you missed it. You missed it. And so you go back and you read chapter 9, and he'd spent all that time going back to the patriarchs. He showed them, you know, that the, the very word of God through the scribes, um, you know, that the promised Messiah, Jesus himself, was, was a Jew in his human nature, uh, born into this world. And so, you know, Paul is just going, but you guys have missed it. And then you get into chapter 10. He's not talking about, you know, the past any longer. He's talking about their present situation. And, and then in chapter 11, he'll be dealing with their future and what God is going to do in the days ahead. And so when I thought about that, you know, and, and, and a lot of, like I said, commentators will say, I don't, I, don't, I don't get why, you know, three chapters, you know, three very difficult. They're, they're, you know, chapter nine is, is deemed probably one of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible because of it covering the sovereignty of man the election, the predestination, and free will. You know, that somehow, though God is an electing God, he still puts it upon us in his election, in his choosing, that says, you got to choose too. And that's what we'll really deal with today is, you know, part of the free will aspect uh, of our salvation and our responsibility, our respondability. And so we'll take a look at this, you know, here this morning. I titled it, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 in Romans chapter 10, I titled this morning, Jesus Saves, because that's what Paul wants us to know more than anything else. You know, and he just keeps bringing this home, that Jesus saves. As, as scripture tells us, there is no other name, church. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's unfortunate because, like I said, as we get into this, there's so many beliefs out there. And many in the church today, we just sit along idly, you know, and go, okay, well, if that's what you believe, that's fine. You know, and not realizing that, you know, I mean, heaven and hell depend on understanding these truths and walking in these truths. It's not, it's not, you know, for the faint of heart in that regard that you go, eh, okay, you know, well, that, that works for you, you know. Um, no, it's, Jesus said, the truth you will know, and what will the truth do? It'll set you free. Yeah. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. Father, we, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their love for your word. Uh, Lord, that we don't want to just be hearers of it, but Lord, we want to learn how to be doers of it as well. And so help us this morning. Um, again, we, we pray for this day. Thank you for just a wonderful time of worship and song. Uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity to worship you in our giving, um, and now to worship you in, in the hearing of your word, that Lord transforms us, that this isn't just a book, Lord, it's a living word, it's your word, and Lord, may you pierce to the deepest place of our being, and, and again, so we're not just here listening to it, but God, that we're saying, Lord, change me, transform me, circumcise 
my heart afresh. Uh, take away the, the stony parts of my life that become hardened. And uh, Lord, give me a heart of flesh that, that moves and lives and breathes and desires your will. And uh, we love you. Uh, Lord, thank you that in the midst of a crazy world and all the things, Lord, that are going on, that, God, we can be still. Lord, we can come into this place, and, Lord, we can look up and be reminded that our redemption draweth nigh, like Paul would share in Romans chapter 9, that, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. Uh, everything that's happening is happening according to plan. might not be our plan. might not be something that we even understand. But, Lord, we rest in the fact of what we learned in chapter 8, that, Lord, all things work together for good to them that love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, have your way today. And above everything, Lord, uh, our greatest prayer and desire is be glorified. Be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that you have to you know, love about the Apostle Paul uh, is his heart for people. You know, as you study through this, I mean, he really is the real deal. And it's one of the reasons that he constantly stresses, not arrogant or egotistical when he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I mean, he definitely has the gift of evangelism here. You know, you can't be passionate. Like I said, if you want, excuse me, you know, if, if, if you don't have a passion, this is what I wanted to say, a passionate heart, you'll never reach people for Jesus. And, and it's one of the reasons, you know, when I, I look at these, these chapters, these three, and, and to me, it's very clear. I was telling my wife last night, I go, well, I can't teach this. There's, I said, there's like 10 sermons, you know, that I, that I have for this chapter. And I said, this one I can't teach because, and I don't mean that, you know, it wouldn't fit the audience, but it's, it's, it would be pretty deep. I mean, in the sense of it deals a lot with eschatology. So you get into chapter 11 and, you know, end times. And, 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 and I talk to people about it, you know, privately and stuff. And people ask those that ask questions, um, you know, what's my perspective, you know, on that. And, and I believe it, it really, you know, helps us understand more about why we believe here at Calvary Chapel in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I believe that chapter 11 helps us understand that. I believe that chapter 10, you know, begins to make that more and more clear. But when I look at chapters 9, 10, and 11, something that I have to ask myself is, is I'm going, why is that there? I don't know if you ever do that. When you read that, you go, it, 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 and like for many people, they go, this is just out of place, but it's not out of place. And the reason that I would tell you that it's not out of place is, um, and all I can do is speak for myself here. I was telling my wife, I go, you know, when something good happens in my life, who do you think the first person that I want to tell? Who is that person? And she's looking at me and I go, yeah, it's you. You know, I go, I, whenever I'm happy and something's going on, I go, I can't wait to tell you. And I go, and when I'm having the worst day of my life and I want somebody to encourage me or I, there's somebody's voice I need to hear, I go, honey, that's, that's you, it, your voice. And, and I was thinking about that a lot this week as I was studying this because why? And you go, because I love her and, and, you know, I share life with her. And so, you know, when I do things that I'll think, Hey, I wonder what my wife would think about this. Or I wonder if she would like this or, you know, and, and she becomes that filter. And so when I, I read this in scripture and all of a sudden, and I, and I have bear with me here for a second. If you recall chapter eight, 
was, is like the pinnacle chapter, right, of, of all of Scripture in many ways. There's many who believe that is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Like to, to think that it starts, you know, uh, after Paul is struggling, you know, in, in chapter 7, remember where he says, you know, the wishing to do good is present within me, but the ability to perform it, I don't even know how to do it. And we all relate to that, right? We go, oh, I, yeah, I get that. We all struggle. But he said, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Victory isn't from our effort. Victory is granted to us in Christ Jesus. He's the one who does the fighting for us. Amen. And when Paul finally understood that, then he goes to chapter eight and he begins in verse one and he says, what? There now, now, now there's no condemnation. There's no downward judgment from God for those that are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live in fear like, you know, is God up there just, is he going to thump me, you know, that I messed up? Because you start to understand his heart. And then chapter 8 ends with what? Now, we call them bookends, right? So the, the, the first bookend is, there's therefore now no condemnation. But it ends with an even greater revelation to me. He said, there's no separation, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Who is it that sang that song? You know, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no river wide enough. Who sang that? Keep me from you. Who's that? Marvin Gaye? Is that what you said? Did you Google that? Did you say, hey, Siri? That's awesome. Way to go. But it's an oldie but goodie, right? You go, but, it, but to think about that, you know. There ain't no mountain high enough, you know, ain't no river wide enough, you know, to keep me from you. That, where did that come from? They made millions of dollars off that song. Came from Romans 8. That's plagiarism. They took that right from scripture. More power to them, right? You know, but, but think about this. So Paul, he's got to be ecstatic, right? To have this revelation, you know, that, wait a second. I mean, can you imagine coming to that comprehension? I hope that you've come to that in your own life that you go, oh my gosh. To be in Jesus, there is no, no condemnation any longer. I live with so much condemnation before I came to Christ, but to be in Jesus and go, there's no condemnation any longer because he died for me and he rose for me and he's coming back for me. I belong to him, right? And then to go, and then nothing, not even death. Because people go, oh, it's, it's, you know, Mary and Martha, right? Last, oh, if you'd have just been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus, remember he's telling his, the disciples, he goes, I'm glad I wasn't there. You go, that is so mean. He died. He even stinketh. And you're going, no, but at what? He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And I think nothing, nothing. Think about this today. You know, so many people, I mean, more and more today, you know, I got a, a note from John, um, Kleins this week uh, to Lee and I and just talk about being on a high school campus, a high school campus, and just, you know, back kids back from COVID. And we really need to pray for our kids that are in school. He said, Mike, there, Lee, there is so much fear on this campus. They're, these kids are scared to death. They have been beat down, you know, by our government and our health organizations over these last couple of years that they are so broken. They are so fearful. And it's sad because we think, yeah, yeah. And you go, but what takes that away? An understanding of who God is, the sovereignty of God, that God's in control, right? And that to think that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, so just, like I said, bear with me. So 
that's in your heart now because that's the truth of God's word. Who would you want to tell? I know when I first got saved, day one, I was reaching out to everybody that I loved, whether they wanted to hear it or not. Because God opened my heart to what true forgiveness was, what true love was, and what true salvation was. And I wanted everybody to know. And as I was talking with Lee about this this week, I go, when something good happens, I want to tell you. Well, for the Apostle Paul, who was it that he wanted to tell? Well, obviously, when you study scripture, he loved his countrymen. So I, I don't think this is an accident. I don't think it's a parenthesis. I don't think it's a parenthetical section that he's just added in here. I think that he was so overwhelmed with the goodness of God in, in Romans chapter 8 that immediately it's, you know, what does scripture say? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And they were the most dear to him because he makes it perfectly clear. As you look at that, and again, you know, he, he was so passionate. You know, we study in the book of Acts, right? So everywhere Paul went, where did he first go? He always went to a synagogue, right? He went there first as a Jew, and it says, and he reasoned with them. And then guess what? They didn't like the reason. And so they did what? They threw him out. And then what did he do? He'd go next door. You know, you talk about churches, you know, being next door to each other. I mean, think about it. You got a synagogue and then right next door, you got a church because that's what Paul would do. He'd just go out. He'd rent the next building and then he would reason with who? Whoever would show up, some Jews and some Gentiles alike. And just, again, passionate about what? His relationship with God. But even though he knew that he was going to be rejected, even though that he knew many would not receive what he had to say, it never changed his love for them. He didn't give up on them. Why? He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, because that's what he's reminding us. That's why for the believer, when we read Romans 9, 10, and 11, that we can be reminded that, guess what? If God, and this is the bottom line, I'll summarize all three chapters for you in that regard, that when you study Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you should walk away with as a believer is to go, I am convinced that if God will not give up on Israel, he will not give up on me. And that's what he's driving home for us. There, there's so many messages, like I said, you know, within it. But the fact is that, you know, Paul loved people. I think that was his greatest characteristic. He, he had no, no problem expressing love. He had no problem saying, I long for you. Whether you long for him or not, it wasn't the issue. See, so much of our love, Jesus said, you know, the love that we have in the world is you love people because they love you, right? It's true. We, we don't have really God's kind of love, one-way love. God loves in spite of. He loves not expecting anything in return. And we learn this in Scripture. You go, that's true love. And I have to look at that, and I go, you know, man, you know, who really loves like that? One-way love, expecting nothing in return, only doing it for your benefit. You go, wow. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. He doesn't, he's immutable. And if he's immutable, it means what? He needs nothing, he needs no one. He doesn't need me, he doesn't need you. In that, that respect, we don't add anything you know, to God. But he loves us. He chooses to love us. I think all of us have heard this expression, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's no question, you know, the Apostle Paul's life, his love for the Jews you look there in Romans chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it. 
uh, verses two and three, again, what is he saying? He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Man, that, that's passion, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's love. I'm, will, I'm willing to give up my salvation if they could be saved. It couldn't happen, but it shows you his heart. You know, look at verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Yeah, he wants us to know his heart for the Jews. Hopefully when you love somebody, you don't just say it. You know, that you look for ways to show it. And what did Paul do? He prayed. He prayed. First and foremost, you know, if you love somebody, man, pray for them. Pray for that person. And again, why? Because it's the best thing that we can do. I mean, especially when you think about if you have family members and you got friends and people you meet that don't know the Lord, is that you become like that persistent widow and you just pound on heaven's door, right? You just do not give up. And I think if most of us were honest, it's, doesn't, it's not indicative of all of us, but, but for many of us, we'd probably say that, you know, maybe the weakest area of my whole Christian experience is my prayer life. I spend so little time praying to God. And, and to ask God, you go, God, I, I really like what I see in the Apostle Paul. What, what qualities are there in his life? I mean, when he says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ, well, I'm too busy to pray. It takes too much time, you know? And you look at all the things that we, we spend time doing during the course of a day. And like I said, and one day we'll get to heaven, you know, and these will be the most important things is, you know, God will be asking me, I'll be asking you, what, what did you do with your time? You know, scripture says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know, praying, praying for people. And it's not just that, you know, simple, any prayer is good. You know, even if it's, you just go, oh, I just pray, hey, Lord, I pray for my family. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub, yay God. You know, I, I guess he can, you know, he can discern all that. But, but to constantly be praying, you know, I mean, if you just have your eyes open and living in this life, I mean, everything, you know, in front of you, you know, is an opportunity to pray. Strangers, people that you know, situations that happen. If you just drive a car on the street, I mean, man, you can pray for all kinds of things, right? Peace for that person, patience for that person, uh, jail for that person, <laughs> you know, driver's license revoked for them. You go, oh, that's Pastor Mike. <clears throat> you, know, you know, you just go, there's a, you could be praying all day, just, just driving, right? And then you go into a store and you, you see people. And again, it's one of the amazing things about being led of God's spirit. But prayer, that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I pray, I pray for my countrymen there. And he's specific in that. It's not just generic. I mean, it's like, I know what I'm praying for, you know. And you know what the good news in that prayer is? God wants them saved too. What does Second Peter tell us? God's not what? Willing that any would perish, but that all would what? Come to repentance. That, that's his heart. And so Paul, he's grieving over his countrymen there. And why? Because he knows Jesus saves. Do you know Jesus saves? You know, I don't save. You don't save. But Jesus saves. Leading people to Christ. And it was so sad. You know, the Jews missed it. They stumbled over that. Like I said, we talked about the sovereignty of God, you know, where I basically said, you know, God's free to do as he pleases, you know, with whomever he pleases, whenever he pleases. 
yeah, for the one simple fact that he is God. God can do whatever he wants. He can save whoever he wants. You know, people go, oh, God can't do that. You know, be careful with that one, because he can. That's contrary to you know, what I think about his word. That's what the Jews <laughs> stumbled over in the book of Acts, right? All of a sudden, Peter's at Cornelius' house, and, and Gentiles are getting saved, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Peter's just scratching his head. He's just like, you know. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, man. God, you're doing something different. And then he explains it, and what happens? Half the group goes, oh, that's a good thing. And the other half is, no way, Jose. No way, no way. It is not going down that way because of their prejudice of their own heart. They couldn't accept it. I was reading this book this week by uh, Tulian uh, Chavidian. His book, it's titled One Way Love. And I want you to think about this because if you and I, if we're not careful, we, we could be every bit as guilty as any religious Jew ever was. I mean, you can learn a lot. You know, even Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, all these things in the Old Testament, he said, were written for admonition. What he's saying is, all these really bad stories that you read in the Old Testament, he goes, they're there for a reason, so that you can learn from them. You don't have to make every mistake yourself. So read these stories and learn from them. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting in his book, One Way Love, he writes this. See if you can relate to this. He says that Christians would want to engage the wider community with God's sacrificial love, living for their neighbors instead of for themselves. He said, it's a wonderful thing and should be applauded. Then he goes on to say this, though, he says, but the unintended consequence of this push, however, is that if we're not careful, we can give people the impression that Christianity is first and foremost about the sacrifice that we make for Jesus rather than the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Our performance for him rather than his performance for us. Our obedience for him rather than his obedience for us. He goes on to say, the hub of Christianity is not do something for Jesus. The hub of Christianity is Jesus has done something for you. And that's where the Jews missed it. Because see, they thought their relationship was predicated on what they did for God. And Paul's going, nope. You missed it. It's not what you did for him. It's what he did for you. And he goes back to the very beginning. And it's true for us as well. And yet we can reach this place that we go, you know, hey, well, I've done this and I've conquered this. And I'm me, 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 me. He goes on, he says, and the fear is that too many people, both inside and outside the church, have heard our pleas for intensified devotion and concluded that the focus of the Christian faith is our love for God instead of God's love for us. Oh, man, that is so profound because that is exactly what happened for the religious Jew. Their focus was on them because that's what the law was all about, what they did. Not looking at the, that the law could never save them. The law could never make them perfect. The law was to point out that they were failures and that they needed a Messiah. They needed a savior to come and they missed it. And many in the world miss it today. My hope and prayer is that it's not me and it's not you. They got it backwards and it broke Paul's heart. There in verse two, it says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. 
I've asked you this many times. By a show of hands, do you believe that people can be sincere yet sincerely wrong? If you believe that, raise your hand. Just want to see. Okay, some of you, most of you. I would hope all of us. Maybe it's just, you know, you're like me, you've got a bad arm and you can't raise your hand. It's like, I'll give you that grace there. But no, it's, it's a sad thing because you think about this and, you, and, and I talk with people all the time and they'll go, well, you know, Pastor Mike, they don't agree with you or they don't believe like you, but you know, I believe, and here comes this thing again, you know, my interpretation is that what God really cares about is sincerity, right? If a person's sincere, you know, I believe that, you know, they'll be in heaven one day. And I'm going, okay, let me just play the game. Jason, what are we giving away? You know, you go, Let's just play that game for a second. I, I was just in the hospital, okay? I, I think about this. So if my doctor comes in, he goes, hey, he's, he's looking like somebody off Grey's Anatomy or, you know, Chicago Hope or something. And he's all decked out and he's got on the greatest garb. He's all tan, you know, and he comes in, he goes, hey, and he's carrying uh, ER for dummies, you know, in, under his arm. And he's going, you know, man, I just got, I, I just learned what a scalpel is and I'm just looking for an opportunity, you know, uh, Mike, what, what, you, what are you in here for? Do you, do you need a surgery? Because, man, I want to try this thing out. I am so excited, man. I've been waiting all my life. When I was a little kid, I had that game operation, and I never touched the side. My sister made the nose. I never did. I was so good at that. Man, I mean, I am just looking. Do you need a surgery? And you'd go, wow, hold back, man. But you would not question that guy's zeal, would you? You go, he is zeal. And you go, he's sincere. You go, but would you want him to operate on you? Because he was zealous? Because he was sincere? No, I like the doctor that walks in that's really boring. He's like, yeah, I got my degree at Harvard Medical, did my intern at uh, John Hopkins University, um, highest in my class at 250. And, um, yeah, I've, I've done a thousand of these surgeries and I've not lost one person. I'm going, I want that guy. I, I want that guy, you know, operating on me. I, I had a prescription at the pharmacist. My dog, uh, my dog ran into my, my shin full speed. And, and when, when she hit my shin, I was, I was ministering to a couple Mormon kids. They came to my door and the sound of it was like breaking a wooden bat in baseball. It, it hurt so bad. I ended up with a blood clot. So the doctor, he goes, hey, uh, well, man, you got a blood clot. He goes, I'm going to give you this prescription. He goes, uh, but I have a sample here in my office. And it, this is 100 milligram. And I'm going to start you on this. And then I'm going to call the pharmacy. And, and then the pharmacy will then give you the prescription. So he sends the, the prescription to the pharmacy, right? About 30 minutes later, I get this frantic call from the pharmacy. And the pharmacist goes, hi, is this Mr. Osterman? Yeah, it is. Hey, this is so-and-so at the you know, pharmacist. And I just want you to let you know I can't fulfill your, your prescription. I go, why? And he goes, because it will kill you. And I go, how would it kill me? He goes, well, it would be a lethal dose. He goes, you, it would be mixed with these other medications. Are you currently taking such and such and such and such? Because obviously I have blood pressure medications and stuff. And he, I go, yeah. And he goes, they can't, you can't mix those. And I said, this is no joke, no exaggeration. I said... Well, he just gave me a hundred milligram. My prescription was going to be for 30 milligrams, but because he wanted to attack it, he gave me a hundred milligrams in the office. And I go, well, he just gave me a hundred milligrams at his office. 
guy didn't even say goodbye. He just hung up the phone. And he's calling my doctor. And he's like, you know, you can't, you know. And I'm going, well, so I'm sitting there counting. I'm like, I guess I'm going to go meet Jesus right now. I'm waiting for somebody. And they call back and so my, my, my doctor calls me. And he goes, hey, uh, don't take any more of those. Because he gave me like, you know, a few of them. Like, really? <laughs> really? And he goes, yeah, because the pharmacist. And I'm going, thank God, you know, that I have a pharmacist that's, that's not just zealous, but he's not just sincere, right? You know, they go, hey, you know, I mean, take them all. You know, it's like, hey, what does it matter? You like colored ones, right? We'll give you a red one and a yellow one, a blue one. Oh, and this one's got two different colors on it. You go, no, it, it doesn't work in any other area of life. But the most important, I think you would agree, and I shared this with you last week, what is the most important decision that each and every one of us will make? Is what did we do with Jesus Christ? If there is a heaven and there is a hell, what you do with Jesus Christ is by far and away the most important decision of your life. Your second one would be if you choose to get married or not, who that person would be. But there is, and they're not even close, okay? And you think about that. And yet we're going to sit here and go, <laughs> as long as you're sincere, you go, man, that does not float. And that's not Paul's heart. That's what breaks his heart. Because otherwise, why would Paul, why would he say that it grieves me? Why would he say that it breaks my heart? Because he knows that sincerity has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Nothing. It has to do with obedience to the word of God. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Bottom line. Verse 3 goes on, it says, For they don't understand God's way of thinking uh, and making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Romans 3.20 taught us already, For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I love when people go, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments, Pastor Mike. I go, that's good. I go, but there's a lot more than the Ten Commandments. I go, what? And I go, well, think about it. The Jews started with the Ten Commandments. They went to the 613 laws of Moses. They had the Mishnah. They had all kinds of things. They ended up ultimately with the Talmud of the Jews, which was 22 volumes of commentary, rabbinical you know, thought, 22 volumes. They just kept adding and adding. And the book of James tells us that if you break the law in one part, you've done what? He said, you're guilty of breaking them all. So you don't get to henpeck. And that's what people do. They're, well, I don't break this law. I don't do this. You know, I don't do this. And you go, it doesn't make any difference. If you break one of them, you've broken them all. I mean, more power to you. You know, they, you know for you, if you go, hey, I feel good about myself. because I. But it's not, you know, not going to save you. It might, like I said, make you feel better this side of heaven. But when you stand before God, the only thing that's going to matter is, did Jesus save you? Jesus saves. That, that is all that matters. It's not if you were sincere. It's not if you went to church. It's not if you tried to keep the law. None of those things. Did Jesus save you? That's what it'll come down to. And Paul, you know, there in verse 3, he, he points out that, like I said, ignorance wasn't their only problem. But they refuse to submit to God. It's not just that you, that you go, ah, you know, because you can know the truth, but you go, but then not submit to it. I mean, I think if you look at your own life today, you go, oh, I, I know that's true. 
and I know I shouldn't do it, but you haven't submitted or surrendered that part of your life. That's exactly what the Jews did. See, they said what many of us say today. I worship God on my own terms. Because you'll read the word of God and you'll go, oh, well, nobody does it. You hear that all the time. Well, nobody goes by that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, you ever hear that? You know, who, who goes by that one? Nobody. You go, it's dangerous because it's all or nothing. That's what Jesus said. It's his terms, not my terms or your terms. He says, you know, if you're going to get right by trying to keep the law, you got to keep it all. Jesus said it. How did he say it? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of what? The scribes and the Pharisees. And they were the pinnacle, right? He said, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did he share that with them? So that everybody would go, then who can be saved? That's what you wanted to do is to bring it to that point. You go, if they can't be saved, then who can? And he's going, great question. Follow me. And then to learn about what Jesus has done for you. See, heaven requires what? Perfect righteousness. I mean, you can, you can get into heaven if, on your own terms, in the sense, if what? If you keep the law perfectly. The question that begs to be asked, has anybody ever kept the law perfectly? Yes. Only one person, Jesus Christ. Everybody else has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then you go, well, how do I get perfect righteousness then? Because that's the requirement. And you go, great question. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That in him, you could become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus very simply took, if you're in Christ today, he took your sin, all of it, past sin, present sin, future sin, and he nailed it to the cross. He took it away from you. And in that place, he imputed to you, he put in your account, his perfect righteousness, his perfect standing before God so that you could have confidence before God, that you got in because of what Jesus did for you, not what you have done for him. Verse four goes on. It says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. It says, as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Our righteousness, like I said, is found in Christ. Second Corinthians 5 21 puts it like this for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's from the NLT translation. The only person who tries to establish their own righteousness is a person who's ignorant of the only means by which we can be made right with God. Romans 10.4, like I said, says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who what? Believe in him are made right with God. And so in other words, what did Paul say? Galatians 3, 24 and 25, Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. See, the law was to bring you to that place where you go, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I can't keep the law perfectly. And when you come to that place, Jesus meets you right there. It says, as Paul would write, he says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. It was a tutor until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Doesn't mean that the law is not good. The law served its purpose. 
It did what it was supposed to do. It's like, you know, a parachute. I mean, a parachute's great when it's in the air, but if you're just carrying it around with you, you know, you go, what's that for? And he goes, my parachute. It doesn't do you any good. It did what it was supposed to. It served its purpose. Now you do what? You take it off. The law was utilized by God to bring us to the place where we cried out, uncle, you know, I need you. I need you, Jesus. Two different approaches. In the Old Testament, they sought to obey to live, right? They, they kept the law to live. Well, in the New Testament, we live to obey. Total opposite approach. We become alive in Christ Jesus. And, and then what do we do? We, we see the commands of God, not as a burden any longer. We see them as an expression of our love. When you love somebody and they say, hey, I want you to do this for me. You know, if you really love them, you go, hey, gladly I'll do this for you. If, it, if it's not somebody that you love, you go, huh, you know, I'm not doing that. I don't have to do that. You can't make me. Love is a powerful motivator. Verse 5 goes on. It says, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. Like I said, again, James 2.10 says, you know, if you're seeking to be justified by works, it'll never happen. Because like I said, if you break one law, you've broken them all. And Paul, like I said, he writes there in Galatians again in 2.16, you know, he says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And remember, so he's talking primarily to a Jewish audience here because they're trying to be justified by keeping the law of Moses. They're going, this, this is how we know that we're saved. We don't keep it perfectly, but we keep it perfectly enough. We're sincere. And Paul's going, you're sincerely wrong. And it's going to cost you. They couldn't wrap their minds around the gospel. You know, verses 6 through 8 there, the apostle Paul, he's quoting Deuteronomy 30. And this is where Moses was at the end of his life. And I want to read this for you. I think it's 20 verses in Deuteronomy 30. But the reason is because Mo, Deuteronomy, remember Deuteronomy means second law. This was the, the, the children of the adults that were there on Mount Sinai and heard the giving of the law. The children were too young to comprehend it and to obey it. And so again, all their, their family members died in the wilderness because of unbelief and disobedience. So these are the children who are, are there getting ready to enter into the promised land. They will, Moses is going to die. Joshua is going to lead them over. Okay. So they're, they're right there um, just across from Jericho. They're going to, they're going to cross the Jordan river. And so Moses has them there and he's telling them about their history. He's given them a little history lesson because obviously they wouldn't have understood it before. That's why it's called second, second law. And it, it's interesting because of what he says the Lord will do. He says in the future, Deuteronomy 30, he says in the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses, because that's what he put before him. Remember, it's a choice. Choose this day, curses or blessing. You have a choice. God's sovereign. He's an electing God. He's choosing, but he's also telling you you, created in the image of God, have a choice too. And you go, somehow those things all work together. And he says, in all these blessings and cursings, he says, I have listed for you. And when you're living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled, you take to heart all these instructions. If at the time of your, you and your children return to the Lord 
your God, if you obey with all of your heart and all of your soul all the commands that I've given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and he will gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. So think about that just for a second. That that means that they failed. That means they haven't been obedient and God has scattered them. And if they turn back to God, they repent and they cry out to God, God makes a promise, just like we read in the New Testament in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so pay attention to this as it goes. It says, even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will possess that land again. And then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all of your heart and all of your soul so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and those who hate and persecute you. Then you will again obey the Lord and keep his commands that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will then make you successful in everything that you do he will give you many children and numerous livestock, and he will cause your fields to produce abundant harvest. For the Lord, again, will delight in being good to you as he was to your ancestors. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is in your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster, for I commanded you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long a good life in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness this choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what I love about this is what do, you, what do you read when you read that? It's what God said that he would do, right? He's going, God will, God will do this. God will do this. God will do this. God will do this. And he even takes into account that they're going to fail. They're going to be led away into captivity. They're going to turn against God. And it says, but when they then make the right choice, when they come back to God, this God who's gracious and loving and what? Forgiving. It, it's not just a license to sin. That's not what he's saying at all. It's just understanding that, you know, God knows us. God knows our failures and he's taken everything into account. His heart's desire is that we would be saved and that we would walk with him. 
And, and again, you know, the biggest struggle, when, you know, when you look at verses 6 and 7 there, you know, the greatest miracles, you know, of human history is what? The incarnation and the resurrection. So he's going, you know, nobody else is coming along. Just like the writer of Hebrews says, nobody else is, you know, you don't have to worry about going up into heaven. You don't have to worry about going into the grave. Why? Because God came down for you. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, religion, obviously, what is it? Man's futile attempt, you know, through works to reach God. Christianity is God making a way through Jesus Christ for us to come to him. You know, you might write this down and study this for yourself this week. The word religion. The word religion simply means this, to relink. To relink. See, our relationship was broken with God at the fall there in the Garden of Eden. And God has made a way for us to relink with him. See, man tries it. The Jews were trying it. They were going, oh, we're going to relink with God on their own terms. And people do it every day and it can't be done. Our relinking with God, there's nothing wrong with religion when our religion is, is centered in Christ Jesus. Because that's what Jesus came to do is to relink us back to God. To redeem us back to God, right? To save us. Jesus saves. It's impossible to relink ourselves to God apart from Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is making clear to the Jews here. Interesting in our world today, there's over 4,000 different religions, no religions in the world, probably grows every day. 4,000. That people just go, as long as you're sincere, right? As long as you're sincere. And you go, no, sincerely wrong. Our God, the God of the Bible, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so it, it closes, you know, with this, when you look at verses, you know, eight, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart that the message is, is the very message about faith, the faith that we preach. You know, you want to get right with God? What do you got to do? Do you got to do penance? Do you got to say a Hail Mary? Or is it as simple as a prayer? It's a prayer to God. God, forgive me. The thief on the cross. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. People get so upset with that. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. God knows your heart. It's a prayer. Crying out to him. You know, the woman caught in adultery. Had a change of heart. Jesus looks at her and he goes, where are your accusers? She goes, I have none. You know, the woman at the well. You know, where's your husband? I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. No. Guy that you're living with now, he's not your husband. The other five guys, you know, all of a sudden she's like, wow. And Jesus says something to her. He said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink of water, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. And she had a change of heart. That's what has to happen. Change of heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 9, it says, And if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. People go, that, that's so cheap. Re Let me read that again. This is how you get saved. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? Believe. It means you receive it as being true. It means you act upon it, what's being said, and you rely upon what's being said. You trust it, you believe it, you act upon it, 
I mean, you, basically, you, you bank on it. That's what it means. That's what it means to believe. So the question that begs to be asked in all of our lives, do, do I believe? Am I taking God at his word? Salvation isn't difficult. You can be anywhere. I mean, think about it. We could talk today and go, hey, so where did you get saved at? I got saved in my bedroom. It was an apartment. Crying out to God, just reading it right there. Talk to people, hey, I was on a boat. Somebody, I was in a plane. I was in prison. You know, I was on vacation. I was at summer camp. I was at winter camp. You know, I was with my friends. I was at a church. I mean, is there any place that God can't reach you? No, that's the beauty of it. As Isaiah declares, his ear isn't deaf that he cannot hear you when you cry out to him. His arm is not too short that he can't save you. Jesus saves. Just don't forget that. Because the world is wanting to go, oh, you know, just be sincere, just do this and do this. And you know, Jesus saves. It broke, like I said, Paul's heart that the Jews missed it. And I hope that it breaks our heart that the world around us, those 4,000 false religions out there, don't be that person any longer that goes. And I know some of you, that, that's your heart. You, oh, they're sincere. Like I said, you can't apply that to any other place in your life. And you're going to do that with heaven? Yeah. Don't, don't let the enemy use us that way. Verse 10, and I close with this. He says, for it is the believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is in, by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. You know, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Like I said, the difference between heaven and hell could be 18 inches. I mean, people say all the time, they go, I followed my heart. It's not a good thing. The Bible says the heart is wicked and it's seedful above all things who can know it. You go, but it's with your heart that you act, but it's in combination with you have a brain that God wants to speak to and then and align with your heart. Because like I said, everything that's in your head doesn't come out your mouth, but everything that's in your heart comes out your mouth. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've all done it where you go, I, I'm, you've convinced yourself, okay, I'm going into this situation and I'm not going to say this and I'm not going to say this and I'm not going to say this and I'm not going to say this. And then you get in that situation and what happens? You say this and you said this and you said this and you go, I don't know why I did that. Pastor Mike, why did I do that? And I go, it's easy. It was in your heart. What's in your head doesn't come out, but what's in your heart comes out. That's why you have to be careful when somebody says something. They go, oh, they didn't really mean it. <laughs> no, they didn't mean for you to hear it. <laughs> that, that's the thing. If it came out their mouth, be really careful. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why, again, when people were killing Christians, when they were martyring them, what were they doing? Because they were going, denounce Jesus. Denounce him with what? With your mouth. Say that, say that, you know, he's not really Savior and Lord. And they go, I can't. I can't deny what's true. He's real. And that's really ultimately what changed the world because what they believed in their heart truly came out of their mouth. Believe it. Act upon it. Rely upon it. And I'll leave you with this. As a believer, rest in it. Rest in it. Jesus has got it. Jason, what's the tattoo you have on your arm? In God's hands. You know, his, his father-in-law, Kent, one of the last things that he said before he passed away. Wonderful guy. You'll get to meet him in heaven if you've never, never met him. Peace with God. Dying, I'm in God's hands. 
My friend Mike Baker was killed coming off of the Paiute Mountains up there above our property there in Walker Basin. Laying there and his buddy comes up and he's holding Mike. Mike's, he's dying. And he's going, hold on, Mike, you know, hold on, Mike. Mike says, it's out of my hands. Because I'm in God's hands. Closed his eyes, opened his, Mike, stay with me, stay with him. Mike looks at him and he goes, tell him it's beautiful. Then he died. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're in God's hands. And you are safe. Jesus said, no one, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And guess what? And I'm in the Father's hands. That's the joy of knowing Jesus saves. He didn't just save you from your past. He'll save you from your present. He saved you from your future. You are saved because of what Christ has done for you. Never what you've done for him. Don't get it wrong. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, this is just an important uh, text, Lord, that we couldn't miss. Uh, and I pray that, uh, Lord, we would retain it, that, Lord, it would stick within our heart, that just throughout this week and conversations, just two words, Jesus saves. And we just remember that Jesus saves. It's Jesus who saves. And that we use that as a filter when people start telling us how they're, oh, I'm a good person. I do this. I do. Jesus saves. The Jews, as much as they knew about scripture, they got it wrong. They couldn't see that Jesus saves. But I pray for us today. I pray for those that could be listening at home that, God, we don't miss it, that it's Jesus who saves. And if we've never opened our heart to you, that, God, this would be the day that we'd say, Lord, save me. You're that close. You hear our heart. You hear the prayer that comes from within. Be glorified this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I invite you to rise to your feet. We'll send you uh, out with song today. And uh, again, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Help us. You can push that out for Smoke Tree today, if you can, on social media. And if you're serving there, God